0: What was your special order?
1: You read it. I thought it was clear.
0: What was it?
1: Bring back life form.
0: Priority one. All other priorities rescinded. How do we kill it, Ash? There's got to be a way of killing it. How, how do we do it? You
1: can't. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Its structural perfection is matched only by its hostility.
0: You admire it.
1: I admire its purity. A survivor, unclothed by conscience, remorse, or delusions of morality. Episode one hundred and seven of the Cult of Matt and Mark Cult Film Review podcast. I'm Matt and I'm Mark. Make sure to head our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview@gmail.com. At Got any show news? Any show news this week?
2: Oh, you know these are those weeks in uh, February where the life just starts to drag. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Days are still <laughs> fucking short, and there's no holidays in sight, and. Um, and this cold snap, I know if we have listeners over on the East Coast or up in yeah. Canada- Call us a that, bunch of uh, pansies. A bunch of pussies. But you know, I'm just not in the mood for it to be 20 degrees when I drop walk out my door in the morning. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? mean? There was just something s- about it that I said on on Tuesday morning, I walked out, I mean on Thursday morning, I walked out my door and I said, fuck, fuck this shit, fuck you and fuck the world and fuck everybody in it. And then I said the same exact thing on Friday-
1: Wow! Uh, I you didn't reach for a bottle of Xanax. That seemed like the that would be No, man. I,
2: I I I uh, my body's got a tolerance of Xanax. I <laughs> I do like a bottle a day of that shit. I keep I'm shitting bricks of. Well, uh, <laughs> no. Um, I wish I wish I had huge bottles of Xanax and uh, I would pop them like crazy. But no, I don't.
1: Uh, I one thing about Seattle, and it's one of the reasons I live here, and one of the reasons I probably will never leave here is I have this thing about living in cities with good airport weather. Uh, I won't live anywhere with bad airport weather, which more or less uh, excludes the majority of the country for me. It's basically the West coast and parts of the Southwest and Hawaii. (laughs) That's like the the only, the only places I will accept living. And it's, it's places that have uh, airports that never get shut down due to weather issues.
2: I mean, never or very rarely. I mean, well, you could put Florida in there because it's only when a hurricane. is Oh going no!
1: In. Oh fuck, man! They got thunderstorms rolling over that yeah, that's flat a good swamp, fucking every spring and summer. It's it's a mess. Well, that's important uh, for business travelers. You don't yeah. want to be
2: stranded at home. You want to be stranded in Salt Lake.
1: Oh fuck! I just yeah. I I go. I you know. I fly enough that. I look at the, the airport hub grid of our fair country, and I look at a place like Chicago, and it's like, you're fucking out of your mind, you know, to 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 have a clusterfuck of an airport like O'Hare in your midst that is, I don't know, I don't know if a flight ever leaves there on time. I'm sure like one or two days a year they do, but my experience has just been so horrific that I don't even leave the airport, and I know I don't, I, I, I want nothing to do with this city. So Mm. I've been through O'Hare twice once was with uh, no actually been through Chicago twice went through Midway and O'Hare and the first time I tried to hub through O'Hare it was a 10 and a half hour ordeal and then I hubbed through Midway and there was like fucking tornadoes whirling around I was just like fuck this place I don't even want to leave the airport. Nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, apologies to Chicago listeners. I'm sure it's a nice town, et cetera, and so on. But not for me. I won't do it. So, my rant. Anyway, yeah,
2: I just don't want my hands cold on my steering wheel.
1: Uh, yeah, but I've been into the Sochi man. I'm I'm all Sochi'd up. Uh, have care. you been
2: watching any of? I I'll tell you. You know, it's like pol- politics and Olympics every year. I amaze myself in that I care less about those two subjects.
1: Oh, I for some reason, the Winter Olympics, since there's so few uh, events, mm-hmm. or it's it's and they're weird events. They're just strange sports that I can kind of get my head around it. You know, unlike the Summer Olympics, which has like everything from ping pong to polo. Uh, I just I don't know. For some reason, I'm into into the Winter Olympics. So uh, I, I watch it and I don't give a shit about Putin. I don't care well, about now the it's whole, time
2: for our Winter Olympics update, Matt. What's been going on?
1: It's just uh, well, the first event I watched was Russian men's figure skating, oh. and I don't know if you could watch a more gay event.
2: There's hold, no, there's no gays in Sochi, man. Uh, I mean, <sighs> Putin told me that.
1: Yeah, I know. It, it kind of reminded me of, like, those old ladies who used to go to Liberace shows back in the 70s <laughs> thinking that he wasn't gay. I was just scratching my head, and I was like, you allow men's figure skating in the Olympics, Russia. How could you be against gay rights? I mean, it's just, <laughs> there would be no men's figure skating if if there wasn't gay men in the mm. sport, period. Uh, so maybe how, I'm so you,
2: But you but, watched it.
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> Okay. You know, I'm thinking
2: that maybe I should watch some uh, some Winter Olympics, because, I mean, finally a Winter Olympics without that fucking Sean White jumping around like a maniac.
1: Oh, no, he's there. He's oh, there.
2: for fuck's sake, when is that guy going to get old and blow a knee out? <laughs> no. What is he, like 45 now?
1: Well, when you uh, smoke enough weed, uh, you can take the ramps and do the half pipe with, uh, I don't know, kind of a mellow sort of uh a jazzy muscle memory yeah you just yeah <laughs> I don't know. I he's, you, not, I that old, I he? he's stand, not that old is he he's not like that old he's like he's old
2: i've seen him so long that i i'm so sick and tired of that guy and his big old ginger smile <laughs> it sends yeah, shivers uh, down my
1: spine uh anyway so that's that's been me for the past couple days uh i've been digging it so how about
2: that npc coverage i've
1: heard it's great uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the controversy is. I don't really care. I, I watch some CBC stuff because they have uh, the Canadian perspective, which I always find a lot more interesting. I'd like know? to watch some curling. You know, curling's not a bad spectator sport. Uh, it's kind of like ice bowling. That's kind of what it seems like to me. You mm-hmm. know, and I think just you have to be cool. a little bit more. I think you have to be a little bit more limber. But uh, I think to me. When I look at curling, I think, yeah, that's something that Canadians do while drinking beer. Mm. Uh, you know, maybe I'm you're wrong. right. I
2: mean, you're not wading through quite as much pussy as if you're on the professional Boeing circuit. Not quite. Uh, as That's much. true.
1: I know. Yeah. <laughs> like the movie Kingpin. We should watch, <laughs> We should review that movie. That's, that's pretty awesome. All right. Well, All right. there's the week. I'm all, okay. I'm all, I'm all ragged and run down. Uh, there's marks. Uh, yeah, well, like I say about January and most of February, it's the Monday of months. It really. is. <laughs> yes, I got a case like, of the month days. Y- you might, y- you might as well just put Monday on like every <laughs> single fucking day of January because <laughs> that's, that's what how it feels. feels. Like. Oh god, fucking, it's terrible. I hate January. <laughs> I, I'm glad it's done, but February. I think February is worst. And early March sucks too because the weather's still crappy. and You're sick of it, and it's just fucking going on and on. And there's
2: just so, something I always reach an existential crisis about mid-February.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I fucking hate that month. <laughs> I hate. I hate. I hate January, and March, and or January, February, and March. That I could just go right to April. I, you know, right I would rather be in time. deep
2: space, hyper sleeping on uh, some. There you go. Crappy.
1: Uh,
2: uh,
1: space this, truck. All right. Uh, our movie this week is. Oh, the classic alien from 1979, directed by Ridley Scott and written by none other than Dan O'Bannon. This is part of Mark's Dan, uh, this Dan is O'Bannon othon. Thir- Dan O'Bannon
2: othon.
1: Othon. Is this our third Dan O'Bannon? Uh, uh, of the Dan O'Bannon othon, I believe so. We did heavy metal last mm-hmm. week, and what was? Oh, we did uh, Return his, of the Living Dead.
2: Yeah, his his, and we have a couple. Of, we've already done a couple of Dan O'Bannon related titles uh, previously.
1: He's kind of he he's kind of like the Rodney Dangerfield of of eighties sci fi horror, isn't he? I mean, he, I he's get the, the feeling that he well he no may respect. not get a lot
2: of respect. I think he doesn't get respect with the public, but he gets a lot of work. I don't think
1: he's dead now, though, so he doesn't get any work. But yeah,
2: I you know um I I don't know quite completely formed my opinion of Dan O'Bannon yet, but I think this review will get get us a, a fair ways there. Okay,
1: plot rundown if uh, nobody has seen it. Give me a break, but I'll I'll do it anyway. Uh, On the way home from a mission for the company, which is Wayland Utani, although not directly mentioned in the film, the Nostromo's crew is woken up from hibernation by the ship's mother computer to answer a distress signal from a nearby planet. Captain Dallas, played by Tom Skerritt, rescue team discovers a bizarre pod field but things get even stranger when a face-hugging creature bursts out of a pod and attaches itself to Kane uh, over the objections of Ripley played by Sigourney Weaver science officer Ash lets Kane back on the ship the acid-blooded incubus is that the right word anyway detaches itself from an apparently recovered Kane incubus yeah I know see that Well, I mean
2: work. I did sort of want to fuck it what if it would have some tits
1: it? It kind of, kind of like orally fucks him. So you could almost argue that it's an incubus.
2: Orally fucks, Kane. Oh, I mean, I guess that's not how I traditionally do it. <laughs> but uh, I mean, there are some similarities from the, the phallus is similar. But I try to take it a little easier, use a little uh, water based a base lubricant.
1: Well, and you don't hang out for days on end. You're done pretty quickly, as opposed to just kind of <laughs> hanging out on the face for. What, days? However long it takes (laughs) it to get off. All right. So uh, let's just go with that for now. Uh, The incubus detaches itself from an apparently recovered cane, but an alien erupts from cane's stomach and escapes. Actually, it's the chest, but whatever. The alien (sighs) starts Hmm. stalking the humans. Is is it it the chest? It seems like
2: it's more down by the liver.
1: Uh, Let's just call it the lower sternum for the diaphragm area.
2: Yeah, it's sort of around the diaphragm. That's sort of between the stomach. I mean, the stomach's right about there, really.
1: Well if I mean would you going through the chest is hard work, I would think that you would want to take your reserve calories or whatever the hell this thing's uh metabolizing and go through something a little softer yeah i think uh, I think
2: that would be a wiser choice I don't know, yeah. I'd have to do the calculations on it.
1: Okay, Mark's running the uh, biometrics on that one. Uh, <laughs>
2: Just a second, I'll get back to you. <laughs> Do
1: some quick, quick movie, quick movie science. Just like I run up exactly. my mechanical
2: calculator here.
1: <laughs> All right, the aliens start stalking the humans, pitting Dallas and his crew and Cat against a malevolent killing machine mm. that also has a protector in the nefarious company. So that's it. It's kind of a shoddy uh, plot summary. it's yeah,
2: so. okay. It's got a mix of too much detail and not enough.
1: And yeah. I can't. I can't
2: agree with the usage of succubus. I maybe incubus. there's an Oh, incubus. incubus. I thought you said succubus.
1: Well, the incubus is the male counterpart of the succubus. Yeah.
2: Right. Well, I guess it sort of is. It is a little. It is a little sexual and sort of a female genitalia way.
1: Uh, But it has a proboscis that it used for raping. Exactly. That's exactly
2: what I'm saying. (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry. I think we're not on the same page here. No, I don't think we're on the same page.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, So, again, one of those movies, Ridley Scott film, there's like so much meat on the bones. I don't know know where to start. A
2: funny sort of thing is, you know, I don't think I had ever seen this movie all the way through.
1: Again, no, I'm, uh, joking. <laughs> I'm joking. ADHD. I'm joking. Jesus Christ! But uh, there was
2: I, there was one scene that I do not remember
1: ever seeing. Did you watch and the DC like I did? I watched. I watched the, watched
2: DC. the director. Oh, you know, maybe it wasn't in the theatrical. I did. I watched the yeah. director's cut. I got both. There you go. But I decided I wanted to watch the commentary and the movie, and I couldn't do it. Like if you do it with the both cuts, you have to watch it four times. I oh, Jesus times Christ! Two times. So. I, the scene I didn't remember, maybe you would know, is where we see Dallas and. Um,
1: uh, oh, Brett!
2: Brett, up, up, uh, like all Cocooned. boogered up to the wall. Yeah, is, that's is that a, is that in just the director's cut?
1: Yeah, that's a DC thing. Uh, okay,
2: that's why I don't remember ever seeing it. It was sort of weird. It see is it weird.
1: There. Well, and it's obviously. Used to great extent in Aliens, the James Cameron.
2: Sequel. Oh yeah, I mean James Cameron basically just stole everything and made yeah, it with well, more I guns. Mean,
1: you could kind of more swearing. Him. Yeah, he could allow him to steal this because he was using it as source material for the sequel.
2: Well, as we say, James Cameron's not a genius idea man. He's a, he's no. a, he's an executor. Dan O'Bannon
1: is maybe a idea, idea genius. He's man, like though. the
2: opposite of Cameron. It's interesting how you work yeah, no
1: respect, probably died poor and came up with uh, pretty much uh, an entire not only film franchise but comic book uh, franchise and maybe video game franchise as well because <laughs> the whole uh, Dan O'Bannon, strangely, I guess we can go down a little bit of the history of the Dan O'Bannon uh, component of aliens since this is the Dan O'Bannon. othon. Oh yeah.
2: If you've got some, you got some particular stuff, uh, hit me with it.
1: Well, n- nothing too deep, but uh, Dan O'Bannon, uh, he did a movie reviewed. I don't know what podcast dark star. And he was sort of, I guess, film school buddies with Carpenter. I don't know exactly the relationship. He starred in dark star. And so he had an idea for an alien run rampant on a spaceship. Uh, but the budget only allowed him to use a beach ball <laughs> as the alien in the original Dark Star. Uh, but the beach ball sort of—would uh, you say? Oh stocks. boy, I tell you
2: that. Yeah, that half hour where they were fighting in a uh, in an elevator shaft just was mesmerizing. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't find the beach ball business that great of a part of Dark Star. It may have been the Genesis, but. It's about as impressive as a blastocyst, if you saw it sitting on the sidewalk.
1: (laughs) So, uh, yeah, strangely, the genesis for the Xenomorph, the Giger Xenomorph, is a beach ball. I know it sounds crazy, but if you watch the original Dark Star... uh,
2: Now, now where did you hear that? Because I've never seen that written.
1: Oh, I've been reading online trivia and... Uh, the alien Wikipedia and all that stuff. Oh, so I've just been lucid of...
2: dreaming about
1: it, so I think exactly. that might be the problem. Yeah, Yeah. But you're going to have some, that's right, you're going to have some uh, nonlinear nonsense <laughs> seeping into your Dan O'Bannon history. If of... Anyway, so he, uh, he worked on Dark Star. He had this idea for, I guess, an alien stalking people inside inside of a spaceship, sort of like a haunted house in space. Uh, But he didn't obviously have the budget to do it in Dark Star. So he wrote the script for Alien, although it was called Star Beast. Oh, was it? Hmm. That was the original name for Alien, which is kind of a schlocky title, but I sort of like it. Star Beast. Mm -hmm. I like the word, I just like the word beast, because beast conjures, for me, like an imaginary creature. That I know, like something, like the word bestuary. Yeah, I always like beast. It's like different than animal. It's it's like a beast is is a a monstrous animal of some kind. You 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 give
2: it a little more a beast, a little more intelligence than an animal.
1: Yeah, it just uh, it's it sounds more wild, you know. Uh, Like I don't even know what the definition of beast is, but it's it's a fun word. Uh, It's just. It has a little bit of an edge to it, whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, his movie was Star Beast. And uh, so, you know, you could... The the, the the script, the original script, I guess it was reworked. At least the dialogue was reworked when it actually went into production. Uh, could, this movie could have just been really terrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, really like, terrible if, if if it was
2: just Star Beast? Well, I know that in a way... Um, I think Dan Bannon originally I thought he'd be directing this film.
1: Oh, did he? Yeah. I didn't know that. I, I I read that there was a lot of people lined up that they were trying to get for the direction. I don't know who they all were. I mean, I'm but... not
2: sure who they were either. On the commentary track, um, um, the director uh, said that he was the fifth in line.
1: Ridley Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fifth in line. Yeah, that sounds about right. But he, uh, he
2: did. He decided he said he wouldn't say who the other people were. Oh,
1: OK. Uh, well, Dan O'Bannon wrote the script. And here's the crazy part. Dan O'Bannon is the reason H.R. Giger was brought on board to do the alien design. Not only the alien design, but the navigator or the space jockey. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else did Giger do? Well, he did the planet, I guess, like the planet design, the starship design, or the derelict spacecraft design. All he did
2: all the stuff. stuff that was other
1: in origin. Right. And uh, interesting is that Dan O'Bannon was working on the Jodorowsky movie, Dune, which is sort of this mythical pre-production that occurred in the 70s. And actually, there's a documentary coming out called Jodorowsky's. yeah we Doom. mentioned
2: it in a previous podcast and i, I always i've meant to go see it i gotta write a note to myself
1: so jodorowsky was this uh, I, i've been wanting to do el topo which is his uh, i guess one of the first midnight movies and john lennon's favorite film of all time
2: i thought you said you saw it and thought i watched it was about it fucking crazy I,
1: I watched about an hour of it and it just blew my mind so sideways that I don't even know how you and I would talk about it. We could maybe get through the first scene of discussion and then we'd have to add another like 10 part series onto it. It'd be like well, a Dan Carlin uh, hardcore history podcast. You'd just be going on and on about it for fucking ever because it's such a crazy ass movie.
2: Well, what would, why don't we just half ass watch it like while we're working out? <laughs> Oh, God. Just with the sound off and the subtitles on.
1: I think we would have probably about as coherent review as we would if we really paid attention to it. So.
2: Well, look, if you want to... I don't mind seeing some weird shit. It doesn't bother me. So, uh, yeah, it's maybe. all up to you. I won't, I won't suggest it. Uh,
1: Jesus. I don't know. I've,
2: I've certainly heard about it as a uh, premier cult movie. So...
1: Anyway... Jodorowsky, uh, he was sort of a cinematic visionary, I guess is the best way to put it. And he was hired to start doing Dune by Frank Herbert. And so uh, he brought in all these just fucking amazing artists like uh, Chris Foss, who, who I've mentioned a few times, who did pre-production concept work for Dune. Uh, Mobius, who's a French artist, I don't remember his actual name. We've discussed uh, but he,
2: him certainly before.
1: Yeah, and H.R. Giger, who did quite a bit of pre-production work for Dune, and that's where Dan O'Bannon got exposed to H.R. Giger. Was uh, I think through his Necronomicon. He has this great art book, this seminal art book called Necronomicon, which is one of the, I guess, if you if you're into Giger, you you know that book. And he had, uh, I guess, the there's a few pictures. I guess what we would call the the pre xenomorph. Except for with like a lot more dicks with little baby heads on it and crazy shit like that. Mm, uh, yes, the old
2: dick with the baby head.
1: You know, yeah. Th- I mean, that's that's pretty straight up art. <laughs> I wish they would do a baby's arm holding an apple, right? Is
2: not that the term I've heard before for a dick? Wow,
1: an apple. I haven't heard the apple part. What did you the Baby's arm, just the baby's arm part. Oh,
2: oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. just to describe a large phallus.
1: That sounds kind of like there'd be some sort of, a, some sort of, a, some sort of a physical issue if they had an apple in hand.
2: I, I mean, know. some guys just have big glands. I don't know what to say.
1: Uh, okay,
2: <laughs> I can't. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, and it's like a Granny Smith. You know, it's not like a Red Delicious. How about a crab apple? It could that? be a crab apple too. You know, there you go. that might be All more right. comfortable. <laughs>
1: So, uh, Dan O'Bannon saw H.R. Giger's stuff and brought it up to the pre-production crew of Alien, and he said, this would be an amazing Alien. And uh, from there on out, that's, that's how Giger got on board, and that's why this movie looks like it does. And I think if you went with something else, it would be really cheesy and not work. I think Giger's art in this film is why this movie is so iconic. Without the alien looking like the alien, what do you have? You know, what would it look like?
2: Yeah, the otherness that Giger brings is certainly central to the visuals of the movie. But I get the feeling that um, Dan Abandon, he remained on the set in sort of like a uh, art, not like an art direction, but like an,
1: Consultant. Oh, like an art
2: consulting. And at least from what I've heard, he was there throughout
1: production and filming. Uh, and then he and then he pissed Ridley Scott off, and then Ridley Scott basically kicked him off.
2: Yeah, uh, I have a feeling he didn't have a great relationship with Ridley Scott. Um, he uh, complains a bit about um, one of the um, producers from the company that made the film. Um, some of this guy Walter Hill. Oh wait a done minute! Quite a quite a number of films himself.
1: You know, you know who Walter Hill is. Walter uh, Hill directed, directed uh, like Alien Three,
2: and uh, oh, he was a no, writer on Alien Three. No, no, no Stop
1: 3. it! Stop it! No, yeah. he directed the Warriors. Oh yeah, he directed the Warriors. Warriors, and he yeah, wrote there it. There you go. Oh, and he wrote the Warriors. Right. Okay. You sure he which directed it? Yeah, I'm pretty goddamn sure. I, just I guess wrote I could it. Thumb through IMDb. But anyways,
2: um, I there was a lot of script modification f- that came from Hill uh, that uh, got into the film that. Uh, I have a strong feeling uh, that Dan O'Bannon wasn't too uh, pleased about. Actually, it's interesting. Um, there is actually a, uh, I grabbed a little bit of uh, Dan O'Bannon's uh, dialogue from the from the uh,
1: oh, comment track. Well, let's let's hear it.
2: And here he's talking about an element of the story uh, that uh, Walter Hill put in to the script, and it has to do with the character of Ash, which wasn't in the original script, and the idea of subplots.
0: There was no ash in my original script. They added that. The idea being here that all, all scripts must have a subplot. It annoyed me when they did it because it was what I called the Russian spy. There's a tendency in certain types of thrillers when people are on an interesting mission to stick in a Russian spy. It's a, a tensioning device which is commonly resorted to and doesn't work because it doesn't provide any real suspense. So I, I think it's an inferior idea. Of inferior minds, well-acted and well-directed.
2: So I think that gives you the idea of how what he thinks of Walter Hill. And yeah, that's, you can not, sh- that's not the only... He spends a fair amount of time dissing Walter Hill in the in oh, the really? comic track. Um, oh, I don't really. have any other uh, bits of that. I thought that was... I love that last line. It was a uh, inferior, inferior product minds. of inferior minds. And it got me thinking about the Ash subplot and how... Wondering how, if it was really necessary for the film, it seems to add a nice dimension to it, but I think I got to agree with Dan Aban here that I think it draws attention away from the important part of the film, which is the alien and its relationship with the crew. I mean, um, he goes on, uh, when he's talking about Walter Hill in another bit, uh, of his dialogue that, um, he says Walter Hill really changed what the film was about. I mean, he, his film was about an alien on a spacecraft killing everybody. And yeah. Walter Hill made the film about an evil cor- the machinations of an evil corporation, which is where the basically the whole story's gone. It's not really about the alien being evil. It's about humanity being evil to itself. And I think it lost the purity that Dan O'Bannon saw. And I, I, I got to agree with him a little bit. I mean, I don't think it would have had the hit. Maybe it would have had the headroom that, uh, you know, the series to take off like it did without that element. But I think there's there's a bit of
1: purity that's lost in this film. Well, because I, you know, it. I, 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 I'll, I'll go ahead and disagree with you there, Mark. Oh, you uh, I, fucking I think... son of a bitch. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you goddamn
1: son of a bitch. Uh, I think for me, I, I guess because I, I like theme and sci-fi, I think... Uh, thematic elements are important to sort of draw contrast out to build a bigger story than what you're seeing here. And I understand that maybe you, you, you pull some tension away from the film somehow. I don't see how, how that was done here, but the whole indifference that of, of Ash's statement about, you know, the crew to me, I have such a piss poor opinion of corporations and their modus operandi and their, uh, what would I say, inhumanity and indifference. I think indifference is something that is, is this probably the scariest part about corporations is that uh, they're not being evil just to be evil. They're being evil because they are. And to me, you know, you have this almost, uh, and I, I'm going to go a little too deep here, but you have this <laughs> sort of equivalent with this crazy organism that is just built for pure survival at any cost. So that that statement that you know you had the intro there with with Ash, yes, uh, basically, you know, giving out his the corporation's directive. And how the crew is, is expendable and all that kind of stuff. I think it kind of, for me, drew a nice uh, thematic element across the film. And I don't think it muddied the the film or, as Dan O'Bannon complained, it was, uh, didn't, you know, what what was his exact words? It was just like... It was kind it, of put in and it, ancillary talking about
2: that subplot and the idea of a spy in the mix. He says it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a weak writing technique to add tension when it doesn't. And it's the product of inferior minds. Well, I know. I, OK, but I, I think that I gives guess. you a sense of what Dan O'Bannon's like. He doesn't mind well, speaking his mind. even no, though that's true. People off. He's not very. I don't think he's very political.
1: Well, you can see how he got thrown off set. Yeah, I can <laughs> see.
2: He's the sort of guy who just says what he thinks. And right. if you don't like it, well, then throw me off the set.
1: Exactly. So uh... I sort of dug that bit.
2: And I, I really, the more I think about it, we, we, do, we will disagree. I think it it shifts it from being man versus sort of alien nature to man versus man. It really, I think it really changes the focus of the film. And in the sense, it's not really the film that Dan Abandon wanted made.
1: Well, you can see how he could. I mean, well, how how you know whatever his original concept was, which he wanted a horror movie. Yeah, he uh, wanted wanted a a claustrophobic horror movie, which Mm -hmm. this is. And he may he well he didn't make, but he requested Ridley Scott, and I think maybe some other producer or maybe Walter Hill himself to go watch a Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
2: I think he did at the beginning of production. They got together. They actually reviewed a lot of classic horror movies. He said.
1: Which is a movie that we should do, but I don't know if I have the stomach to watch it again. It's fucking disgusting. I've never movie, seen it. So. I mean, I, I probably want. Oh. Maybe
2: I'll wait till October and do like a horror fest.
1: Yeah, I'd have to. I be think in the that'd right be a way good way idea.
2: Said. We should uh, whack up four horror movies and just bust them out all through. October.
1: Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, succeeds in what it went out for. I'll say that. much. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs>
2: that in a way, I think he wanted something simpler. He wanted it to just be a, a scary horror movie in space. Where it's just the crew versus the alien I mean, that's but where,
1: where where did that even become close to failing here this movie is because it it it's not really
2: it's more about the crew versus the evil corporation
1: is it i mean is it is it, it's, well, it's it's really uh, both
2: it changes focus i mean it does. It not, i'm not saying it makes it bad and i sort of i like the evil corporation it sort of hits me in my wheelhouse maybe you got a bigger wheelhouse than i do for yeah that. i got a huge wheelhouse and i got multiple wheels going it. and I, I like the ash character and i like that scene um but um yeah i mean there we go i mean that gives us a flavor of dan o'bannon in this film
1: it's a that's a that's a good clip though because you can definitely you can you can definitely sense he, he has a vision that's uncompromising. I mean,
2: if we just want to go ahead and talk about Dan O'Bannon some more, um, it also, he also, and maybe he was talking himself up a little bit, but he seemed to be re- really central to bringing all these disparate people together. And I think you've mentioned that with bringing in Giger. And uh here's, uh, he talks uh, a bit about the design of the facehugger and how he was actually, uh, brought everybody together to get all the elements in and he was the actual person who actually drew the face Hugger design, incorporating some bits, some ideas that um some drawings that Gager had and um some ideas that Ridley Scott had and working with Ron Cobb, which is a pretty famous uh sort of special effects yeah. Art director sort of guy. And uh here um this quote's not about this. This is about another aspect that we think is really central to the alien and that uh, doesn't sound like it was worked out until uh, pre-production.
0: I wanted to avoid the cliche of bullets bouncing off of the thing, the indestructible monster. You can't stop it. I wanted the thing to be in like fact, a natural animal, which means, yes, if you shoot it, it'll die. So the question was, why don't they just kill the thing? And I wasn't sure how to achieve that. And I asked Ron Cobb if he had any thoughts. He said, Well, suppose the thing bled acid that would like burn through metal. I said, Great. I said, Then they couldn't kill it.
2: So I thought that was really interesting how simple, like such a a great idea.
1: Well, the thing about. Okay, I was on the Wikipedia, the Wikipedias, as mm -hmm. I like to say, and I went to sort of the alien biology section I mean you know the alien xenomorph universe and I was reading through you know talking about life cycle and man we could have spent we could spend a whole podcast like we did with the thing you know nitpicking uh the 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 pseudo biology I mean that's not what that's not what alien. I'm trying to say no that, I n- I know which I know well I'm getting there and, and but what reading like hearing that quote and reading a lot of the stuff is a lot of the alien the the reason the alien's the alien is for plot mechanism. Yeah. And, and the facehugger, like, how do we get the alien aboard? How does the alien make it aboard? And that was a conversation that Dan O'Bannon had with whoever he was partnered with for the screen. Ron Shusett, who was that guy? Anyway. Uh, uh, Cobb? Cobb? No, there was. Uh, I thought he had like a co-writer on. Mm, I'm, yeah, I'm, Ronald Shusett. Mm. He was. Uh, he was also helping out with the story. Uh, and they were like, "Well, what if it like uh, basically raped and impregnated one of the <laughs> crew members?" Uh, and so they're like, "Yeah, okay, you know." And then Dan O'Bannon had some kind of uh, nightmare about something he saw. Some insect that. Somehow plants eggs into its host, and then those eggs obviously uh, hatch, and then they eat through their host. And this is very insect-like. This whole biology that you see here with the with the with the alien, right? And so he said, "Oh, that'd be great. You know, that way they could hide aboard a person, and not have to hide aboard the ship somehow. And then they could get out into space, and then this thing could you know go crazy." Uh, and kill everybody then. And so then the acid thing, exactly the same thing. Like you heard, it's just a great plot mechanism mm-hmm. for making an indestructible monster.
2: Yeah. So because while it's destructible, you don't want to destroy it.
1: Right. So, like any good ideas, they're sort of cobbled together from necessity mm-hmm. and uh, borrowed in this case from probably some kind of nature film.
2: <laughs> it, it may have been. I don't, he didn't go on to say, I mean, Ron Cobb might have a better idea about where he, he got the idea from.
1: And, you know, while there's some really kind of outrageous uh, plot holes that don't make a lot of sense, like how could something like this grow uh, as big as it does in a matter of hours? You know, Oh, yeah, which, that's, that's a real problem. Which I was like, you know, because as a kid, I even... I, that is a
2: huge
1: plot hole. I watched this movie at a shockingly young age. <laughs> I actually snuck up, I think, when it was on HBO. And back then, there was no VCRs or anything. So I actually, like, I, I think I would, I woke up and my parents were in bed. And I snuck out. And I watched The Alien just to scare the living shit out of myself. You know, when you're a kid, you love to scare the shit out of yourself.
2: I, I did not I, like scary movies as a child. Okay.
1: Okay, I, I, I just loved, it's like holding your hand into the flame. I just, for whatever reason, it was just like something I was like, I just want to scare myself. And, oh my God, I watched it. I, I want to say, I, how old was I? Probably when this hit HBO. I want to say I was probably nine or ten. And I watched it mostly with my eyes covered. <laughs> but I did yeah. watch it. Um, And uh, what was I going on about? Shit, I lost my train of thought. I was talking about. Were uh, you just talking
2: about fuck. how how the Xenomorph was sort of a, a beast of necessity?
1: Yeah. And uh, oh, no. The, the, and watching it, even at that young age, I was like, no way could something grow that quickly. No fucking way. And then even as an adult, I still think about it. It's like, was it like somehow consuming some sort of like raw material in 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 the spaceship? Because you can't. You have to accumulate mass from somewhere, right?
2: Yeah, it didn't make sense. I'm surprised there wasn't. They didn't take a few minutes and have it have an intermediate stage where, like, it fed off a couple of people and grew very rapidly. It's not killing. I mean, they had plenty of time. I mean, they were stuck on this fucking ship, right? Right. It's not like they had to. They were in a hurry. I mean, they had ten months for this thing to grow. It could have. You know, they could have been looking for it for a month while it went through this insane growth spurt eating three of the people and getting into their food stores or something like that.
1: I guess, you know, but that's – so that to me always seemed like the weak link. And and obviously the other components of its biology were brought out by plot necessity. But Yeah, its it's
2: biology is farcical.
1: Yeah, and so that always seemed like the weak link. And so when people sit there and meticulously cobble together – Uh, the alien biology from, you know, novelizations of movies and comic books, you know, all these ancillary uh, media that that's in the alien universe. I'm like, you know, just give it up. It's just, it's just a, a cool creature that uh, is a product of plot and, and film.
2: (laughs) But the acid blood is a cool
1: thing. It is a cool thing. I mean, that's really cool. It's a great plot mechanism, Mm -hmm. you know, because, uh, uh, especially the freakiness of it when they cut it and it just starts dripping through all the decks and all that good stuff. And, and you know, you're like, Oh, now, you know, you really have to be careful with this thing. And the only way to kill it is to, 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 to burn it or blow it out the airlock. Or I don't something think
2: they were even type. planning on burning it. They're just going to use fire to drive
1: it in directions. Right. Exactly. So, Kind of cool, uh, but I didn't want to get into that. I don't think that's really where we want to go. Cause no, it's, no, it's, no,
2: no. But I think that's. I, I think that's. I just interesting to have a little sight into the creative process and how. Uh, I think Dan likes co collaborating, though maybe
1: he doesn't get along with everybody. No, well, and you know, he, I'm tr He's sort of a. He seems like kind of a mysterious guy. Because he seems very schlocky. Like he seems like he likes making movies, right? Like he's sort of a nerdy guy who really likes making movies, but he may not have the most deft hand when it comes to subtlety. <laughs> I guess that's what I want to say. No, no, or I
2: don't maybe I think he's got a real he's got a real simplistic taste. That he wants a real pure flavor in his films. He doesn't want to muddy them too much. And, and I guess right. in a way that sort of works towards some of these genre type feels where you can have a real simple one, one byline sort of high concept
1: film. Right, right. So, I don't know. We've beaten the, 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 the Dan O'Bannon drum quite a bit here. Uh, I don't know. Really what where other drums want... would you like to beat?
2: Well, How about we... uh, Sigourney Weaver's Rock Hard Abs.
1: Um Well, I guess we could go back to Dan O'Bannon on Sigourney Weaver. Dan O'Bannon's
2: rock hard abs? I'm pretty sure that guy's a little (laughs) doughy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, he wrote the screenplay for all the characters to be gender neutral. Uh, I guess that was one of his things. And one thing he didn't want to do was create the, what he calls the final female uh, cliche in horror films.
2: The final female. Right.
1: Right. I, I don't know. It's like a it's like a horror movie gimmick, Trump? right? That the chick's yeah, the yeah.
2: one who survives in the end,
1: right? And then he ends up with Sigourney Weaver being the last survivor of the struggle. Well,
2: that wasn't really his movie at that point. <laughs> no,
1: it wasn't his movie, but uh, it started. But it's I think the comment was that Ripley was probably the most the strongest final female character of any horror movie. Uh, before it or since, which has sort of built up that uh, kind of mystique, especially an alien. You know, well, she's she got this strong jaw, jaw, you know, and some know. slightly,
2: slightly mannish face. She has some man hips too, little man hips. She, she have kinda, man hips? I, don't I, don't don't know, I, thought, a... I thought she had had a pretty rock and bod. She, I mean, she uh, was see, a she has a little bit of a dancer's body, though she's ex- ex- unusually tall for a
1: dancer, right. Yeah. So, uh, okay. I take back everything I said. My Did wife is A little bit. Just, it's a job. Just when she's maybe. sitting there in her panties, a little bit of her butt crack showing. Yeah. You thought that it's a little was flat? Man-ish? Her ass is kind of a little flat. Huh. I'm just saying. A little yeah. bit. A little uh, bit. All right, man. You're showing like plumber butt crack. It's, uh, I don't know. A little mannish. That's all I'm saying.
2: <sighs> all right, dude. I My guess I'm gayer here. than you. <laughs>
1: My wife hates Sigourney Weaver. Why? I don't know what it is about her? Oh, she has a couple of actors and actresses that she uh, has totally written off. Uh, one of those being Tom Hanks. This Tom isn't Hanks like Tom is, Hanks. Fucking hates Tom. America's Hanks.
2: Uncle Tom Hanks.
1: I know he's like our generation's Jimmy Stewart. Just fucking can't stand Tom Hanks. <laughs> has <laughs> she <laughs>
2: ever saw um, Castaway? I thought I thought that was uh, one of his best performances. I, I,
1: I think it's she's. It's one of those things where she starts uh, consuming her own propaganda at a certain mm. point. I and have the same never...
2: feeling about some people, too. You see, I dismiss people like you... um, I always make fun of uh, Spielberg, but he's got some really good movies and he's well, pretty—he's he a pretty amazing director. I just focus on a couple of aspects of his style that I really hate.
1: He's he's good at directing, not so much writing. Maybe we could say that about Steven Spielberg. He's got some right? good writing, too. Uh, yeah, I know we pick on them a lot, but yeah, it's un- it's unreasonable.
2: So I understand. It's fun. It's fun to have people. It's fun to hate people who it doesn't matter if you hate them or not. Exactly. It's like you get all that hate out of you without ha- without it costing you anything. Um, if, if you hate somebody yeah, right. you know, like you hate your neighbor or you hate somebody at work, it's going to cause you trouble in your life.
1: That's true. But Rose hates our neighbor too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, anyway. Um, Okay, so we talked a little bit about Sigourney Weaver. I don't know. I I feel like if we start talking about some of the, 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 I guess, the film, we start ending up in ruts that we've already kind of been down in this podcast, you know, uh, picking apart the the science of the sci-fi, which I think is completely unnecessary. Uh, You know, the the feasibility of everything doesn't necessarily... uh, get us anywhere right i mean you know like i could pick on like artificial gravity and why would you take a gigantic 800 foot space tug down to the planet planet surface you know Mm. that doesn't make much sense uh you know are they traveling near light speed because you would have to in order to traverse interstellar distances in a matter of months you know all that kind of Uh, stuff so
2: yeah and if you really were dealing with time dilation the whole point of the expenditure would be moot due to uh, advances in technology and uh, and uh, inflation
1: for the the company. You can't wait right.
2: 3,000 years for its load of uranium <laughs> ore to get back from <laughs> deep space, right?
1: There was, a, I don't know if I've talked about it, but if you really want to read an exceptional novel that deals realistically with time dilation and near light speed travel, read Joe Haldeman's The Forever War, I think you read that. Did I? Did yeah. I think you don't read make. That? Don't
2: do the mistake that I made. And uh, when you go to Amazon to buy it, you uh, get the
1: uh, oh, the fucking Iraq book. Yeah, the,
2: uh, the Iraq War memoir, the Forever War. Because that's what oh, I got. Oh,
1: God, that's all we need. That's all you really need to do is you could. I think you could just clean your slate of all books and only read Iraq commentary and first person accounts, and that would all. That's all you would read for the rest of your life. I'm pretty sure.
2: Uh, I mean, if you wanted to. I mean, I'm getting more into history. I I can understand the draw of it. I know. I think these memoirs are important.
1: So, anyway, don't get so-and-so's Forever War. Get Joe Haldeman's The Forever War. Yes. And the whole thing about The Forever War, which is terrific, is they're fighting an alien race. And to get out to the battlefield from Earth, they have to travel near light speed. And they travel through, like, wormholes and stuff. Well, what happens is that they go out, they fight, like, one battle, and they come back, and Earth has has aged 100 years. (laughs) I think it's more than that. Well, it gets to be more than that. But, like, the first battle is, like, 80 years or something like that. And that's just one
2: operation, like, there, boom, and back.
1: Right. And so it gets to be absurd and, and hilarious. Like, they'll go, well, you know, we'll... Like, they, they can't return to port because if they return to port and deploy, the technology will be too outdated by the time they actually meet the aliens again that the aliens will have uh, adapted or they've had enough time to build. It's, anyway, it's, it's sort of a crazy sort of uh, playing with time dilation, which I think is more abs- makes for a more absurd and fun story than just sort of having what I call sort of the ocean equivalent of space travel, you know, where you get on your ship from, uh, you know, one continent is like one, I guess, star system, and you travel to the next continent, and there doesn't seem to be any sort of dilation with communication or travel, and it just takes a few months and you're wherever. So, yeah.
2: So let's talk more about some of the plot holes in the particulars of
1: uh, aliens. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, the
2: thing is, The Forever War, I think there's a movie coming out. I heard that Will Smith and Tom Cruise are attached, so I got a good feeling about this. What? That, well, that, that I'm joking. Oh. I think there is a movie in, in, in the works, but I don't, I, would, think, I don't know if Will
1: Smith or Tom Cruise will be in it. No, but man, I have a good
2: feeling that one or the other will be.
1: Tom Cruise, yes. Will Smith, fuck no. That's all I got to say about, about those two. How about Jaden Smith? <laughs> Jada Pinkett Smith. Uh, are we giving our fans what we want about it, what they want for Alien or Alien Review? Uh, I don't know if we are. Uh
2: well, you know, in, in a way, I was a little underwhelmed by Alien. Uh, in what way? Uh, I mean, it's got some good jump scares. It's a real simple
1: film. It's very simple. It's super simple.
2: And it's got some good performances. I think one of its problems, and um, as far as I can tell, we both watched the director's cut, but the theatrical release is about the same length.
1: Almost exactly.
2: So I think it's overly long. Uh, I think I think this simple could story could be. be better served by a ninety-minute or.
1: It could be, yeah. I, I but I think what you what you lack is there's a lot of nice slow shots in this film that build up um, tension, and even the the first shot of the ship coming to life, which I think is beautiful and fun and uh, takes its time Uh, is just adds. It's sort of the Ridley Scott element. Ridley Scott is all about detail. Uh, If you watch any of his films, they're so finely detailed that he, the quality is there. It's just such a quality filmmaker um, that I kind of love that stuff. Like I love when, the computers come to life and, like, you see the glow on the the crash helmets, which they strangely don't use when they're landing on the planet and do kind of crash, which I thought was kind of yeah, funny.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what they're trying to say there. <laughs> I mean, I, maybe it's not that. There's something, something, I don't know what it is. There's just something, and maybe it's just the my mood at the particular time, but I just wasn't crazy
1: about it. I've watched, watched it, it so many times. Uh, I can't. It's one of those things that I can't take an objective standpoint hardly anymore because yeah. it's just, you know, it's been in my head since I was nine. would have been
2: pretty awesome sitting in a theater in 1979.
1: Oh, it would have blown your fucking mind. It would have I blown think. your mind. It's just
2: not it, the same sitting here watching it on the old plasma.
1: Uh, is it just because it's an old road you've been down before or is it because...
2: I don't know. This is an important thing. I mean, we we've sort of danced around the issue of how films age. And sort of the problem with not seeing a film in the, the moment it came out, that's why I really like our reviews to be written at the time the movie came out, to really get the feel for society as it existed. And I don't know if it's the way society has moved really smiles upon this film so much, and I don't know why.
1: Oh, I think it's, I think it's still... Looks, looks great, looks current. I mean, yeah, except for the CRT and the, the panel of flashing lights, which is always... Yeah, I don't know, the uh, special
2: effects, I'm, I don't know if they, they're good, but I don't know. I got mixed feelings about it. I guess that's why maybe I'm not ripping and roaring. I, I, I sort of took this as more of a, a study of Dan O'Bannon, and in that way, it's a little more of a a measured viewing in my part.
1: Well, that's sort of the filter we put on this review, right? Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. mean, it's sort I of think the, it's the an story important filter, origin, but
2: and, it's not a—you know—it's not a super exciting filter.
1: It isn't, and hopefully, our listeners are still with us. <laughs> well, why don't we go
2: ahead, get to the review, okay? And maybe that will spark us to get in the mindset of 1979 America. <laughs> Turning back the time to May 25th of 1979 when our uh, late great New York Times reviewer Vincent Canby shone his eyes upon the silver screen, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm just saying that because Canby starts out uh, the movie in some very flowery language describing the set of the film, uh, which uh, he says to sum up his whole review that this film is a gothic set in space. Now, I just have very vague understanding of what the film category gothic is. Gothic? I think it's like Ugh. old, scary movies set like in old times.
1: Yeah, I just think of <laughs> – strangely, I think of like Victorian-era stuff, which defies the word gothic because gothic is, I think, even a, a specific era of art and music prior to – the victorian era but whatever it's something,
2: something we're missing i think it's fallen out of usage to describe films maybe it's a whole type of film that have fallen out of favor and maybe they were considered schlocky have default fallen out of the memory of film goers in you general. keep
1: going i'm gonna look up the definition of gothic <laughs> so, go ahead
2: anyways um that's interesting and gets my mind racing but let's go into what he has to say about the movie he calls it an elaborately produced science fiction film uh, that uh, familiarity consumes the promise uh, he says anyways it says it leaves even though it's an elaborately produced science fiction film it leaves a residue of some shrieks and shocks of the most mundane kind
1: Okay, so he's saying it, it it uses some of the old uh,
2: horror tropes,
1: traps and, in a beautiful right. set. Yeah, yeah.
2: So not the not the most positive start. He says the alien life is an octopus like blob that won't stop growing, and is possibly worse, unclouded by conscious by conscious or delusions of morality. You like that same line I did from?
1: Uh, well, like I always like to go back to the insect analogy. Like if you blew up. A fucking like sp- I said, spiders on not an insect. But if you blew up a spider or some other insect to human size,
2: robots. yeah, it wouldn't function uh, very well because of uh, the some <laughs> biophysical issues.
1: Uh, thanks, dude. It's <laughs> ruining my point. Okay, let's say if you shrunk down to the size of an insect, <laughs> uh, despite surface friction. Yeah, I, mean,
2: I don't think the lawn surface. would work. The avioli would all be all too. Right,
1: for fuck's sake, I'm just saying. Uh, that if you created an insect on par with the human size-wise, you would get a very alien-like, animals don't have morality, but you would get a very alien-like creature that would dispatch you clinically uh, in a way that you would perceive as is lacking morality but that doesn't really that doesn't really fit this thing's an animal it's not really an equivalent i think that
2: instead of saying that animals don't have morality you should say that humans are the only animal that has delusions of morality
1: i guess delusions that's a good word yeah continue
2: um Um, i'm talking about dan o'bannon he says that is about all one can say about this story originally conceived by dan o'bannon
1: yeah, maybe right there. <laughs> okay.
2: He says, um, Alien is an extremely small and modest film set inside a large and fancy physical production. Which I which think really, is, is sort of true.
1: Well, that's the thing. If you took away all that, if you took away Ridley Scott, if you took away H.R. Giger's uh you know, touch to it, uh it would. It would seem you could. You could make a very bad version of this film uh, easily with the same script.
2: Yeah, I think if you uh, had Dan O'Bannon leading it,
1: yeah. You, and but you I had, would still enjoy it. But you wouldn't. <laughs> you would like have half the budget. Uh, it a, would, a quarter of the budget. A quarter of the budget. It would look silly. It would seem silly, and you would totally write it off. I you might know. like it. Uh, okay, Mike might, um, might, might
2: like it. He says, "Don't race to it, expecting the wit." of Star Wars or the, the, wit. the metaphysical Wars. pretensions of 2001. <laughs> he says uh, okay. that at its best, this movie recalls the thing. However, the latter was more imaginatively and more economically dramatized.
1: dramatized. Here we can go back to that old fifties, the thing, which uh, Ebert says is way better than Carpenter's the thing, which we well, this is, he's talking, when he's talking
2: about the thing, he's talking about the Howard Hawks film here.
1: That's the old fifties one. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to ever see that. <laughs> I, right, I saw this, part of it looks stupid. Is,
2: this is, this is done before the remake. I'd like to, I should see Canby's, uh, review of the remake of the thing.
1: There you go.
2: Um, <clears throat> it's an old fashioned scare movie about something that's not only implacably evil, but prone to jumping out at you when you least
1: expect it. <laughs> well, these th- the the thing is, the alien doesn't really jump out at you. It's only the face hugger that that delivered that
2: part. Oh no, no, the alien jumps out at you too. I mean, is it jumping? It's he just jumps like... out at Tom Skerritt when he looks to the side. Boo! It jumps Boy. out at Sigourney Weaver when she's on the uh, shuttlecraft.
1: See, that's the great part about the Tom Skerritt thing or alien scene is you see the alien for a brief glimmer prior to. So you see he comes down the the flame illuminates part of the alien mm-hmm. but you don't pay attention to it cuz it's like that biomechanical feel yeah. you know and then and then he turns around and then he turns back and then it's all prone and ready to grab him yeah but it's a jump scare I guess it's a jump scare uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, right. I think, There's I think,
2: nothing. I think Camby's right on here that, uh, there was, and here's where I think he was talking about the idea of the Gothic as a genre.
1: Oh, by the way, I got the definition of Gothic. Okay. Hold Do Let I me read it? this
2: one sentence and right. you hit me back with your definition. There was once a time when this sort of thing talking about these jump scares was set in an old dark house or on a moor or in a thunderstorm being trendy. Mr. Scott and his associates associates have sent it up into space.
1: Right, haunted How's, house in space. That's like the easiest way to categorize the movie.
2: So is is that a is that the definition of a gothic?
1: More or less, uh, often not capitalized. I don't know. Is it capitalized in the Canby Review? Uh, it is. Okay. Oh, it is. Okay, often not, but uh, not in re- case.
2: He's from New York. You're pretentious,
1: <laughs> pretentious fucker. All right, of or relating to a style of fiction characterized by the use of desolate or remote settings and macabre, mysterious or violence violent incidents. Incidences. That's kind of what you expected, right? Yeah. From the word. Yeah, anyway. Okay. Uh
2: he says that he's a little disappointed in this Mr. Scott's uh follow up to his first feature, the Duelist, which I haven't seen. I haven't seen it. He says it seems as implied that he has more promise than this film alludes to. Uh and also uh speaking about the writing, he says, um with two exceptions, the characters might have been written by a computer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, and he goes. Those
2: two exceptions are um, Ian Holm and Sigourney Weaver's characters.
1: Well, uh, to be fair to Dan O'Bannon, they didn't use his original language. Uh, they thought it too uh, theatrical. They went with sort of an improvised uh, scripting. Uh, That's which, all Walter Hill. That fucking son of a bitch. Yeah, Not but no I good think. Hack. It, well, I don't know if you'd get sort of that kind of union chatter between Brett. And uh, Yoffit Kodo's character. You know, know, that
2: that gives me another... I don't... I I even like the sound mix on this film. The dialogue was hard to listen to. There was a lot of noise. I think it was a messy mix.
1: There was an interesting scene that was almost documentary-like, and it's where uh, Ripley's kind of in the foreground, and... Oh, fuck. What's Yoffit Kodo's character's name? Uh, Fucking A. Hold on. Uh... Parker. Yes. He's kind of just fuming in the background, you know, in a panic. And you can't really hear what he's saying. But then you, you can tell, like, Ripley's just getting super annoyed with him. She just like, well, you shut, the, you, know, you shut the fuck up or something like that, which I thought was kind of an f- interesting s- sound mix. I liked it. it. It didn't. You could hear. It, it was sort of like an argument. Like well, you know, the funny thing,
2: I know the I know the time it's when they're deciding whether or not it's after Skerritt gets taken and they're trying to decide what they want to do. Are they going to continue the original plan and or try to flush it to the airlock or are they going to try to get the fuck off the ship? And it's funny right. during the uh, commentary, I think that Sigourney Weaver and Ridley Scott are talking during that scene. And um, Yafet Kodo, I guess, was he sort of had a really strong personality on the set and he would sort of piss people off sometimes with his personality. Well, he
1: pissed off the guy who played the alien because he really wanted to be pissed off at him for sort of like yeah. kind of a, almost a, a method acting.
2: And I guess uh, what Ridley Scott did there is he got Yafit to be a blowhard that morning and really piss everybody off,
1: so Sigourney Rea- Weaver would be really actually angry at him at that moment. <laughs> well, it seemed to work. Yeah, it uh, did seem to yeah, work. Yeah. Uh, okay, what else you got from Candy?
2: Um So... <clears throat> Just to sum it up here, he says, uh, aliens, uh, sets, and special effects are well done, but these are no longer, these no longer surprise or tantalize, tantalize us as they once did. In a very short time, science fiction films have developed their own jargon that has now become part of the grammar of film. Uh, one of these things he talks about is the obligatory shot of a huge spaceship flying by the camera. He says, when I first saw it in 2001, it was awesome, but now it makes me feel like a turtle on a busy uh, road, uh, on, on a busy, yeah, though saying. unnaturally quiet highway.
1: Right. I see what he's saying. <laughs> uh.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting how these these shots, how quickly they lose their novelty. Well, I guess after they've been done a few times, they're no longer novel.
1: I guess uh, there, I read somewhere that there actually is sort of a dimensional equivalent for the Nostromo and its cargo, that it's tugging, or tugging, is that what they word? Towing? Uh, they, I read somewhere that the Nostromo was meant to be 800 feet long, and its cargo, or its I guess its uh, whatever it was towing, it was like a mile long or something. Mm. Mm. So... I get what he's saying. Yeah, been there, done that. You
2: but. know, I didn't like I didn't like a lot of those ships shots. I didn't think they were that great. I mean, and no, I don't I know if that's them. time, but I think Vincent Canby says, you know, maybe they weren't great at the time.
1: But I got I like such a big Woody for space hardware, and especially that old model work that was done back in the pre CGI days. I liked it. I, I, it it, yeah. it it got it got me all excited. Still does. I'll
2: just I'm just gonna stick with the shots of. Um, so Gorney Weaver in some uh, cotton patties. Thank you there very you go. much.
1: All right. Mark's going to stick with that. a nice little cotton top, too. Worked <laughs> for me. <laughs> well, I read the Ebert Great Movies review, and it was boring as shit. So there's not really anything that I would touch on.
2: Well, th- what uh, did he have to say about what we've talked about? Did he have anything to say about Dan O'Bannon?
1: Uh, he does mention Dan O'Bannon. Uh, he says, uh, let's see here, without dragging it all down, um, I'm dragging it all down.
2: I'm <laughs> dragging you down. Know,
1: he talks about the dialogue, but the dialogue was overhauled, so it doesn't really.
2: It sounds like it was written by a computer. I
1: uh, yeah. guess. <laughs> uh, I don't know. There's nothing I really want to get too far into, other than it's just sort of waxing poetic about all I mean, the. Uh,
2: he says it's a great show. movie. Well, so what's so great about it?
1: Well, his his thing is is why. Alien is revered as one of the, the greatest action films that's ever made. He said it's not about the action, it's about the tension. Uh, and this, and Alien is masterful with its use of tension. Uh, you seem to disagree a little bit with the jump scare tactics and stuff, but uh, he mentions the slow shots, which I mentioned, and I think bring a nice foreboding atmosphere to the film and atmosphere is really what I go for uh, in movies like this, uh not so much the scare tactics, uh, but just if it's delivering an atmosphere, and I think that's what he's arguing about he, Atmosphere and tension is what this movie delivers, and the alien sort of exists in it, i guess is the sort of uh consequence uh of of the tension, right so. Anyway, that's about it, though. That's hmm. about what he mentioned. And then he kind of lumps it in with other great sci-fi movies that d- don't make a whole lot of sense, like Dark City. <laughs> we know we yeah. got that.
2: You know, I think this is one of those weird times where I think I actually appreciate this film less after oh, a serious viewing okay. and discussion. Can you imagine that? No, I can it. happens see it. from time to time, and this is one of those times. And, you know, I think this movie, you're right, I think you got to focus on the feel of the film. It's more of a feel film. And Jump Scare's not really my thing. So, for me, it's really about the beautiful art direction and uh, just the, the atmosphere. And this is a movie where I think watching it at home, it's not the same as watching it in the theater. This movie really you would be, right. be a lot better on the big screen. It's, it's too bad there's... I guess you could rent a movie theater these days and throw
1: the Blu-ray up there. It would probably be pretty good. Well, I... I want to go back. I don't want to go back because we're getting on in the hour here. Let's go back there, but... and
2: uh, let's just sort of uh, sum up our whole uh, podcast. <laughs> Wait, well, if you have another point, then make it, man, before we No, I'm just
1: on. making the point about atmosphere, and I'm thinking of specific shots and specific moments, and like the chains rattling in that cooling tower uh, when Brett walks into it, and it's sort of a wind chime effect. And wind chimes are kind of – we have a wind chime right outside, and they're sort of – calming and a little discordant and off-putting kind of strangely. And you get that effect in there. And I think it, it's done great with the water dripping. It's, yeah, it's really nice. cool. Uh, the opening shots, like I mentioned of the, the slow pan through the ship, there's a scene where uh, the, one of the doors go up and then kind of a wind blows and yeah, sort of that's uh, nice. stuff like that. Um, the, uh, I guess the low res, uh, kind of camcorder shot that you get through the view of the, uh, uh, you know, I guess the, what do you call them? The, uh, the crew that's going out to the derelict spacecraft. You
2: like that quite a bit. You know, it's funny that during the comment track,
1: um, uh,
2: that's actually discussed. And I guess the idea of using camcorder was, uh, made up on the spot because when, um,
1: Oh yeah, I read that too. It was effect like Ridley Scott kind of just went with at that moment. Well, right?
2: he got to he got when Ridley Scott got to the set, uh, just the way it was laid out and the size of everything. He knew he couldn't really get his Panavision camera in there and get a good effect, so he said, "I'm going to have to hide that some somehow. I can't get in close." So he borrowed one of the guy on the set. He, he asked anybody, did anybody have like a camcorder? And somebody did. And they just went and got it, and he brought well, it back and made those shots.
1: Yeah, see that 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 was that word that gave just a ominous atmosphere. Mm-hmm. You know that I think Cameron ripped off again in Aliens with the uh, the the Marines yep. who had their own little cameras on them. That means necessity
2: uh, again, mother of invention.
1: There's another great shot with the space jockey where you get they're all kind of hovering around the the hole in the chest, and then they like pan away from it. And it leaves the the space jockey in darkness. That just that's real nice. brief scene, because you got that's how that fucking thing's been for who knows how many years. Yeah. You know, just sitting there like that in the dark, all creepy. Well, I tell you,
2: seeing Prometheus totally ruined
1: that scene. I know, for me. totally fucking ruined fucking it. Fucking ruined it, man. Oh uh, no, way do I want to touch that movie in this review. But oh, Jesus fucking Christ.
2: Prometheus! What a piece of shit! <laughs> <laughs> what I a can- turd! <laughs> this is total dirt. it's a fucking terrible oh, movie oh, sorry I cannot, so, I cannot believe scott made that
1: oh sorry fanboys have been blows my mo- and,
2: no nobody uh, likes prometheus fucking is nobody terrible,
1: terrible. Does uh
2: nobody li- is there somebody who likes prometheus
1: i don't know i'll I can, find i can't him.
2: imagine the fanboys like
1: him. i'll find them and beat stinks. the fuck out of them outside of a bar how about that? <laughs> do you like prometheus you come with me motherfucker we're gonna have some words uh <laughs> Oh and then there was the other thing with the uh, the sphinxters in the air ducts when they were closing and opening as they were trying to seal off the passages.
2: Oh what a terrible design from an Asian I know yeah
1: it left a hole in in the middle but still creepy but what I liked was Tom Skerritt's. The flicker of the flame reflecting off of those dark passageways. I mean, it's just so ominous, just fucking creepy as shit.
2: Oh, that is so funny, because uh, Scott talks about that in the comment track, too.
1: He oh, said he, he, he
2: had, like, a morning to shoot it. And he's like, he didn't have time to light it, so it's just like, he just lit it with uh, the flame and the torch that he was carrying.
1: Yeah, see, that's like that improvised... He said he really relic- had to
2: push the film, but it turned out pretty good. Fucking
1: amazing. I just that's the kind of stuff why I watch this movie. Mm-hmm. It's not you know the jumps or the scares or the the witty dialogue um or even necessarily the actors. It's it's that kind of shit, you know. So anyway, uh still love it. I know Mark's a little faded, but
2: uh So be it. I mean, that's the way it goes. That's part of life. You either you uh what is it? Either you die young or you Fade you, away. You live old enough Whatever. to be disappointed in everything you loved or something like that. Like, I'll figure that out and tell you next
1: week. That's the kind out. of the burn of nostalgia. And I get what you're saying. <laughs> whenever you take that nostalgic trip, whenever you pop like a CD back into the tape deck, that tape deck, pop a CD into the... Fuck, pop an MP3 player. Into your
2: Could component. you imagine if you lived a thousand years, how things would feel like when you're like 750 years old? Just fucking the world would have no surprises, man. <laughs> You'd just be longing for the sweet peaceful wrath of the rest of do you, death do,
1: do you know how like perverted and fucking weird you would be because really the only reason well because all the thrill is gone like everything is just calloused and numb so you,
2: i mean you're saying around 400 you start kidnapping and ritualistically killing oh, uh hookers yeah. you'd be into <laughs> fair
1: enough You'd be into some crazy art crime.
2: Well, hopefully I you'd think. be hopefully you'd be rich enough to insulate yourself from all the uh, blowback from that by by your 400th birthday.
1: God, you'd be like the guy I worked with who uh, ended up dying with a perforated colon from a horse. Oh, wait a minute, that's another story. I'm meaning to get into that at some point. Uh,
2: I don't think you want to get
1: into that. There was a whole movie made about him. Look, talk <laughs> to the hand.
2: That's all I gotta say.
1: <laughs> Sorry, listeners, for dropping that one on you. Another time, just uh,
2: yeah, don't drop that load on me. <laughs> okay.
1: All right. So uh, on that note, uh, next week, uh, our film, we're going to stick with the creature features uh, mm. from the 80s, actually from the 80s. Okay, from that era. And uh, going to check out the original Predator. Starring mm-hmm. Arnold, the, the two governor movie is like good. It I'm on. glad you
2: mentioned the two governor
1: movie. <laughs> well, I'm waiting for Carl Weathers to throw his hat in the ring for some podunk state. I don't oh, know. Oh, a three governor. Oh, that'd be a great fucking uh, two governors. Actually, there's another two governor movie that actually stars the same governors, and that's Running Man. <laughs> but you know, what are you going to do? This oh, is I got really both the, those
2: already sitting in my library just waiting to rock and roll, <laughs> man.
1: <laughs> so we're all pulling for Carl Weathers to you know take up the hat and run for governor of Nevada. That would be an appropriate Carl Weathers state, I think. Sure, why not? Yeah, California. I don't think he can do that. One's been done.
2: Isn't there anybody so, else in that film that could be a governor? We'll have to when we watch it. Let's see. We'll who, look for other governors. There must be some guy who could. Political isn't there like an Indian guy player. in there? He could do like a North Dakota thing or something.
1: Oh yeah, he could be. Uh, is he was that? Be guy? The first Native governor of one of the. Uh, Plain States or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, we're going to do Predator, which is, uh, I haven't watched that movie in a long time. I I overwatched that film as well and uh, dismissed the marriage of Alien and Predator. (laughs) AVP, baby. (laughs) Going to dismiss that one. Throw that into the turd ring. Dan
2: Abandon may have punched up an AVP
1: script at one point. Oh, God. I think he did. Anyway, we can (laughs) talk about that then.
0: So uh, until next week. Didn't matter what they were doing out there. Who gave a honk?